All right, let's open up in our Bibles. Come with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. And the title of the message today is simply Principles and Promises. I want to read verse 5 and verse 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Two verses, simple to understand. There's nothing complicated about it. Trust in the Lord. Now, before I go any further, trusting in the Lord is done through this book. 31,102 verses in it. It's more than information. It's God's revealed will, principles, promises, and so on. And that's how we trust in the Lord, through the book. In any case, that verse, Proverbs 3, 5, says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and don't lean unto your own understanding, which is all of our tendencies. Is we figure it out. And it turns out on so many, many occasions, we don't have it figured out. And if you're older and you have been diligently seeking after the Lord, my experience has been, the more I learn, <laughs> it turns out it's revealed that, I mean, I see how much I don't understand. It's a little disconcerting. You think you're going to conquer it, the book, I mean, and you don't. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. Again, it's simple enough to understand. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. So the way we acknowledge the Lord is by obedience. That's how we acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. So we want, presumably everyone here, wants to have God directing their path. Even if it's difficult, and this way that we're in is difficult. Because we know that in the end, it's going to be good. We want God to direct our paths. I don't know if I mentioned to you, when we went on vacation two weeks ago... Now, I've been traveling down to the Jersey Shore for, well, 60 years. And you always see traffic on the Garden State. It's kind of a strange pattern. But now they've eliminated the tolls, and that was supposed to help things. And I, I can never remember hitting as much traffic as we did that day. If, and, you know, people are GPS and alternate routes, and no matter which way you go, it's like Long Island. No matter which way you go, it's jammed up. There's only two really major thoroughfares there on Long Island. And it's kind of the same with Jersey Shore. But if you could say, God, is there another way, a clear path? We don't have to deal with this. That's the one that you want. It's the one I would have certainly chosen. And so in life, again, I presume that you want God to choose your path. Because no matter what you face in that path, the obstacles, the difficulties, in the end it is good. But it's not only good, it's the right path. It's the right way. So with that in mind, as I told you, I want to go over just a few principles we find in the book. And principle and law is really the same thing. But I'm using the word principle and I'm using the word promise, even though promises are not precisely stated in every verse that I'm going to give you. There is a promise attached to a principle. But keep in mind, if the principle is not acted on, then the promise is null and void. So simple enough to understand. I have quite a few friends here that are from the gym where we all work out. And I know them all personally, so I know how hard they work out. Almost all of them work out hard. And we know the principles. You want to get strong, you, you got to pay the price to get strong without drugs. You just simply have to work hard and you got to put a bit of stress on the muscles. 
following Christ is no different, except that he dishes out what the stress is going to be. Some of them are contained in principles, and some is just things that we meet along the way as we're walking. Anyway, I want to give you two principles that I believe are the foundation for everything else that's in the Bible. And I also want to just give you a notice that what I'm putting down, I just put down as I was meditating, this could have been more well thought through perhaps, but it's enough that you understand. God has principles or laws, and to each is a promise attached. The first one, if you'll turn with me in the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, is still a very challenging verse to me because of its promise. Mark chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Or Luke 1, 37, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Or another verse where Jesus says, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so on. The first principle is faith and the many, many promises attached to the verses that deal with faith. Trust in the Lord. Have faith in God. And listen to me. Biblically speaking, which is all that we know here, we trust in the Lord through this book. That means you have to read it, study it, memorizing it is a real good idea for those times when you need. You say, God, speak to me, help me. And when you have the Bible in memory... And the Holy Spirit can just bring it to your mind. That's the case with me. After all these years being in the Bible, verses seem to come out of nowhere. But they're not coming out of nowhere. They're coming out of years of being in this book under the aegis of the Holy Spirit. as a verse in due season when we need it. When I need it. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe. And the reference is not just believing. Like believing in anything. It's believing in God. As revealed in the scriptures. Bible. All things are possible. Now, I want to say to you, as I have in times past, I'll use the word theoretically, but we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the planet. Amen. We ought to be. But that's not always the case, but I won't go into those reasons. We should be the happiest people on the planet if it were not for many other reasons, for this one alone, that with God, nothing is impossible. Amen. That everything is possible. Now, let me qualify that, but the Bible, you know, it doesn't mean everything as in all your lusts and things like that, but it covers a lot of ground. If you can believe, there's the principle. It's the principle of faith that we start off with the word, if you can believe in God. Mark 11, he goes further. Believe in God. Believe in God. Believe in me, he says. One and the same. If you can believe, all things are possible. If today... Starting from the pulpit and reaching out to everyone here and those that are watching the live stream, those that are listening by way of radio. If we really believe that all things are possible, no matter how much stress you're under, and again, we're all under a ton of stress. We're never hopeless. There's always hope. Things can change. No, things will change. You look at Jesus' ministry. I hope I can get to the promise of healing you look at Jesus' ministry, and he's taking cases that were impossible. And I'm talking about just the healing ministry alone of Jesus. People are sick. People are dead. And he comes along, and then he tells us, if you can believe God, nothing is impossible. Now, the question is, do you believe it? 
Because the Bible is replete with examples of situations where it was impossible, specifically with Israel as a nation, for them to overcome or win in the battle, yet they won. And over and over and over and over and over again, credit is never given to men. I mean, by men, I mean generically speaking people. It's never given to the wise general or the godly king. Oh, the credit is always given to God, to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Something that Augustine said really bears some thought, some meditation. He says, we don't understand to believe. We believe to understand. I was just telling my wife the other day, I always mention this. I do a lot of reading, but it's not just on theology. I read subjects that interest me, and 99% of it is nonfiction. Textbooks and other things, many subjects. And every time I fall upon some truth that man has discovered in a laboratory or by other methods that they use to arrive at something that is conclusive, truly conclusive, I always find that principle is already in the Bible. That's the truth, in my experience. It could be one little verse somewhere tucked away in the Psalms. It could be the first chapter of Genesis for me. And it continues to bring me back to this book, John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them, set them apart from the world, Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. So there's where we get trust in the Lord. That nothing that's in this book, that's the claim of the Bible, nothing that's in this book is untrue. It's all true. 100% truth. So Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. That's why I always remind you. I'm at the stage now where I can barely even read the news, let alone watch it. I don't watch it. I read it. And I can barely get myself to read it. First of all, I believe there's a lot of misinformation. So I don't know what really to believe, but you got to stay informed. But when I come back to the book, always I feel this great peace. It's intuitive, not just intellectual. Based on, again, my experience, it's intuitive. God wrote this book. And I'm not to lean to my own understanding to this point. No matter how bad, I don't know if anybody's going to say, the world's doing really well. I mean, nature is doing well, except for where man has imposed himself upon it and destroyed it. But I think there would be a general agreement on things are pretty pretty bad. But then we have all these statements here of Jesus, of the apostles, Old Testament prophecies that tell us this is how it's going to be before the righteous king, this Jesus, comes back and sets up his kingdom. So if we go beyond the present time into the future in our thinking... We ought to be the happiest people in the world. Because this, again, John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. So in your trials and in your stresses and in your dilemmas, you have to remember, I can't lean to my own understanding. What does the book say? What does the Bible say? What do the scripture, which means writings, what do the writings say? And we go to them. and They become the underpinning of our lives. Now, again, we got to stay informed about things. We need to occupy till Jesus comes. That means we don't sit around just doing nothing. But on the other hand, there's no progress for any of us in anger, frustration, and so on over things that we cannot control, but only could affect through prayer and preaching and other things, as you know. Trust in the Lord with everything that you have. That's what it says. All, all your heart. and Don't lean to your own understanding. I think I've told you that when I first signed on 46 years ago, my wife and I, to follow Jesus, 
somehow I formed the conception that from this point on, everything was just going to be great. It was going to be perfect. And initially, things were going pretty good. And then all of a sudden, the application of the cross. Adversity from either non-believers or carnal believers inside the church, and on and on. And the further I go, the more I see the wisdom of God in some of these things. Well, not some, in all of these things. But my point is this. I was leaning at that young stage of my walk with the Lord. I was leaning to my understanding. And so many preachers, as I've told you this so many, many times, they will accommodate you to your imagination because they know that's what you want to hear. But it's not the truth as far as you're going to trust in the Lord and everything is going to go right. Well, it will go right in God's definition and by his will, but not by yours, not necessarily. And so they'll accommodate the imagination. Trust in the Lord. If you can believe, nothing is impossible. Now, the Salvation Army, which was formed in the 19th century, and they went with military terms, general and so on. So we talk about William Booth, or General William Booth, who spoke about faith and works. That they have to go side by side. One establishes the other. They complement each other. I have two legs. One is on the left and one is on the right. In order to walk, I need both. Well, to walk properly. Or normally. Or on average. I need both. Left than right. Your faith will be exhibited in how you think. Then we hear it in your speech. And then we see it in your actions. And that brings us to the place where we are not leaning to our own understanding, but trusting in the Lord and what he has said. There's a missionary that some of you may have heard of, but I'm thinking most of you probably never heard of, Adoniram Judson. He was sent here from the United States in the 1800s to Burma, which today is Myanmar. When he got there, or soon after he got there, he found himself tied with 32 pounds of chains to a bamboo pole with a few other individuals. And at that point, a man next to him asked him, he says, well, what about the prospect now of winning souls to Christ? 32 pounds of chains hanging on your legs to a bamboo pole. You're not going anywhere. And he's asked the question, what about evangelism now and preaching and teaching the Bible now? This was his answer. He said that the prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. That's faith. Faith is not when everything's going well. So I believe God. Because anyone can be a sunshine soldier. When things are going well, you believe and everything is great. But again, your experience will be, if you follow the Lord closely and long enough, that he's going to send you into some very dark places. I talked about that last week from Psalm 23. And you're not going to like it. And you are going to wonder what's going on and so on. If you've been leaning to your own imagination, if you've been under the aegis and teaching of preachers who are playing on your imagination, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You're going to be wondering what's happening. You're going to be wondering if there even is a God. But if you read the book and you see what Jesus said about the way, walking in the way, and the apostles and their examples and the biographies of many great Christians, true Christians, you're going to find that the way is not always that easy. So when your feet are shackled with 32 pounds of chains to a bamboo pole, what do you think at that time? I don't know what he was thinking, Judson was thinking when he first went to Burma. But when you're tied to a pole, that's what tests your faith. Faith cannot be validated unless it's tested. Make sense? 
Faith cannot be validated unless it's tested. And then we read again in the words of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter, not to marvel, not to think it's a strange thing that your faith is tested. Now I'm telling you again, as I have throughout the years, I don't like when God says, here's a pop quiz. You're going to be tested. Well, some tests are easier than others. Some are difficult. And I don't want to do it. My flesh does not want to do this. I'm not enthused about this trial. However, if you commit your will that no matter what, I will serve him. I will be faithful and so on. You're going to find that God always comes through. Amen. Now, I'm not going to talk today about why God tests us. I'm just simply stating that he does. Just as though we see, you know, in old cowboy movies, you know, someone gives you gold and they bite on it. See if it's actually gold. See if it's soft enough to be gold. Leave an impression. Because there's fool's gold. There's phonies. There's fakes. There's imitations. Honestly, if you put a zirconian stone in front of me or a diamond, I can't tell the difference. If you're in the jewelry business or just no jewelry, you could tell the difference. I can't. So, should have thought that through before you buy an engagement ring for somebody. If they don't know the difference, just get a zirconian. <laughs> and they get a big one. So look at this. Man, it's five carats. Wow. One of the biggest in the world. <laughs> but a jeweler's going to tell you. I bought Times Square years ago as a kid. I bought a ring. You know, came home and showed it to my dad and he started laughing. I was young, 16 or so. It was so funny. He said, this is going to turn your finger green. It was not. And I argued with him. <laughs> Within a day or so, I had this green ring around, you know, because the guy promised me, this is real. This is real gold. So I'm arguing with my dad, who knew better. And I learned a lesson. There's real gold and there's fake gold. There's a real Christian and a fake one. And we know how we measure ourselves to the veracity of our faith is against this book. That's it. I don't measure myself against you. You shouldn't be measuring yourself against me. Hopefully I'm providing a good example. That's what I'm supposed to do. Yesterday someone told me, we just met briefly in the gym. He says, now be good. And I said, I don't have a choice. That's I get paid to be good. <laughs> Can't be bad. And come up here and say, hey, Jesus loves you. But neither can you. The power of faith. The principles of faith. Oswald Chambers, who wrote a great, great devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. He said this, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in the fiery furnace. Now, of course, in that story, in Daniel, they were delivered from the effects of the fiery furnace. But throughout history, men and women who believe in Christ have not always been delivered. But the ones that we want to read about is the people who never recanted their faith. And that should be you in this hour of history and me as well. So first we have the principle of faith that is applied to so many subjects. Again, this is just a brief overhaul of some of the principles attached to them as promises. The second principle that I believe underscores the whole Bible and our walk is the principle of holiness. Hebrews chapter 12 <clears throat> verse 14 tells us to follow peace with all men, right, everybody, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So here, first of all, it's given to us that holiness is not a lifestyle option. It comes with belonging to Christ, belonging to God. For he said, be holy because I'm holy. But it is, in my mind, a sad thing 
that holiness seems to be so misunderstood by so many people. Some of us were taught incorrectly that holiness means doing all of these sometimes absurd, mystical gymnastics, things that some of these people, and I'm not saying that they weren't true followers of Christ, I'm just saying they were misguided in the fact that what they're doing, like one person lying naked in a swamp, getting eaten, not to death, but just getting eaten to death by mosquitoes so that he could please God and be a partaker of his suffering or something like that. I hate mosquitoes. I hate them with a passion and flies along with them. But I find no need to go and lie in a swamp to prove that I love God and let mosquitoes eat me and say, I'm doing this for you because God never requested that. But at the same time, neither did he say, when you follow me, you're going to have an easy time of it. Neither did he say, well, let me say it this way. As it has been put to me on occasion, and on one specific occasion, I recall distinctly, someone saying to me, well, you know, I was challenging him on a certain issue. And him saying in reply, well, God accepts me as I am. Now, he's many years in the Lord. God accepts me the way I am. And of course, the common retort is, but he loves you too much to keep you that way. You've got one, two, three, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years under your belt. There should be some sign of growth, maturity in the Lord, in the book. And that, I would point to you, is exclusively found in what is called holiness. And again, it seems to me a sad thing that holiness is so misunderstood. That you have to go around, like laying in a swamp, letting mosquitoes eat you. And so you have the admiration, in some cases, the admiration of men. Did you hear what he did? Man, how he loves God. No. That's just a mystical superstition. Look at, you don't have to go chasing hurricanes like some of these people do. I mean, I know they got a business that they report on. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying, I'm not going to chase a hurricane. We know, right, from last Saturday, we didn't chase that thing. It was chasing us. And no matter where we went, we couldn't get away from it. When you walk with the Lord, don't ever pray to the Lord things like, Oh Lord, give me a cross to carry. Number one, you already have one. That's sufficient. I remember a man who I know and still know, and I know that he does serve the Lord, but early on in his walk with the Lord, in front of a few of us, he prayed, I told Satan today, bring it on. And everybody said, no, no. <laughs> He's coming after you anyway. You know, where some of us here from the gym, we have a boxing, a combat gym. They call it a combat gym. It's a boxing gym, an MMA. And they have a ring in there. I mean, a regular ring. Look, if you're going to step between the ropes and you're going to step into the ring, you're going to fight. In most gyms next to the ring, you find heavy bags and speed bags and all these things. And they're great for polishing your technique, but there's one problem. They don't hit back. When you climb in the ring, your opponent is going to be hitting back. When we climb into the ring to serve with Jesus, and we know that he is holy, so we're going to fashion our lives and our thoughts and everything after him, not mystical speculations, not imaginations, not what we think would please God. Just read what the book says. One problem with holiness is that people are always adding to it. The Pharisees did that. Always adding, adding, and adding. You don't need to. And you shouldn't. And God forbid you to do so. Just stick with what the book says. But my point is this. When you sign on for Christ and you sign on not only to have a life of faith, you sign on for a life of holiness. And the opponent, for us, it's Satan. And these spiritual powers in high places that the Bible mentions that we're actually fighting, not flesh and blood, they fight back. If you're in combat and you decide you're going to tell the enemy we're going to kill you, they're going to shoot back. And why is this a surprise? 
Well, one reason that it's a surprise to modern Christians, and not only in America, but around the world in some places, it's a surprise because it's not taught. Nobody talks about it. And again, if you're naive enough to engage in your own imagination, you're going to find some preacher who's more than happy, a con artist now, not a real preacher, they're going to be more than happy to accommodate your imagination and tell you things that aren't true. Whenever I'm approached by some young, well, it's always been a young man, few times I've had women I've trained in boxing. My question to young people is, why do you want to do this? Well, you know, they have some different reasons, not just self-defense. And this is the truth. This is what I tell them. It's a stupid sport, which sometimes, you know, it's insulting to young people because they're going to be the champion and all that. But what I'm trying to do is save their brain. I took a bunch of young people when they first started, some of them, all of them were from around here, and they wanted to train. And I said, listen, if you really want to train, we're going to have to go to Albany. And so we went down, I used to take them down once a week, and they had one of the top trainers in the country there that they got for free. One of the top trainers in the country, top 10 trainers in the country, and he was just on payroll with Albany. When we went there, after I had told them my standard thing, why do you want to do this sport? He was Russian. He stood them all up in his office, and I was in there, he says, why you want to box? And they all had different reasons, and you know, who's going to be the heavyweight champion, who's going to be this and that. He said, Boxing, stupid sport. One of the top 10 trainers in the country says, go home, play chess. <laughs> one of these young fighters one day was having a little bit of difficulty in the ring, because they say you watch Rocky and you watch all these movies, I mean, he just goes in, and if you've noticed in movies, when someone gets knocked out, they're knocked out like for like days. They're hit, they go out, it's hours later, he's still laying there. That man is not knocked out, he's dead. That rarely happens in a fight. And it certainly rarely happens, it does happen, but it rarely happens in the ring. One day one of these fighters was having a difficult time and he was doing something that's kind of standard, jab and drop your hand, leaving himself open. He was getting tagged a lot. The Russian trainer, the trainer said, what you learn? And I'm dropping my hand. No, what you learn? And he went, well, maybe, no, go home, play chess. <laughs> <laughs> this man had over 200 and something professional fights. You know, when you're older, you understand that this is not good for your brain. And he actually told these young people, it's a dangerous sport. See, he told them the truth. At least at that point, they still go forward with it. And they all did to some degree for some length of time. They know the truth. And you want to know the truth. Not to have someone placate you. You want to know the truth. As the truth is in Jesus. And he says, be ye holy for I am holy, and that's the truth, and that's the course we're on, and that's the course you're on, if indeed you're following the Christ of the Bible. Beyond that, there is no correlation between an imaginary Jesus and the real one. D.L. Moody was a great evangelist, famous in the 1800s, and he said this about holiness. He said, a holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. I spoke to a Mormon elder, was at the time a friend of mine. I decided never to engage in a debate with him over his beliefs because I had the advantage of being on radio and he had heard me on radio, so he knows my beliefs. Anyway, I just never felt it was going to be productive, so I didn't. And one day he came into the gym and he said to me, he said, well, I met one of those born-again Christians again, Ray, and he kept putting me down about this, that, the other thing, putting him down. And then he said to me, he says, but you're different. Man, his name was John. And I said, well, John, I said, this is the way I figure it. If I don't show you that I'm really concerned about you, I've already made my decision. 
My decision is to follow Jesus line by line throughout this book. That's my decision. I made it for myself. I said, but if I don't establish that I'm really concerned about you and your welfare, then you get into this kind of a thing where you're just really putting people down. And although obviously Christianity is not compatible, true Christianity is not compatible with any other religion in the whole world. As I read just this morning before I came here in Isaiah, I am God and there is no other. That's what the book says. I have made a decision and I've ultimately seen enough proof and evidence for myself to know that that's true. But those that don't, they've got to make decisions for themselves. Be sure about this. This book doesn't leave you with an opinion where you can be neutral. You either accept it or you reject it. And it's just that simple. When Jesus talks about various things, we could call them principles, he doesn't leave people with this neutrality. In the beginning, for instance, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. There's not much getting around that. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Ego eimi in Greek, a present tense verb that he's saying, before Abraham was born, I am the creator. This is how it translates in theology in the Bible. And they knew what he was saying. You have two options. Accept it. And there is evidence, by the way. Or reject it. That's it. So when it comes to holiness and faith and many of these principles, you would be wise to accept them and to apply them. As our opening verse said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There's nothing half about it. All of your heart. I've read in my readings and books, and I happen to agree with this, that when you want to start a new habit, doing it halfway is not the best way to do it. Just get in and do it. Whatever it may be, fully committed is the best way to begin a new habit, break an old one. Just dive in and do it with all your heart. Well, God is that way. All the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength. The reward is assurance. We are assured. Now, who does the assuring? It's not me or any preacher like me. I'm accenting what the book says. Hopefully the Holy Spirit anoints it. This is my constant prayer. But the one who gives you the insurance does it from the inside. And we're taught again in 1 John, we need not that any man teach us that principle. Not other things, but that principle. You know that you know that you know that you know in the way that intuition transcends even the best intelligence. Intuition tells us now, he's holy, I must be holy. He said, believe. Or ask the question, why did you doubt? It's a principle, and it has many promises attached to it. C.S. Lewis wrote about holiness. He said, how little people know that holiness is dull. In other words, they think it's dull. You're going to have a dull life. I had a friend of mine who I was sharing Christ with. One of his things was he just was bored. Life was dull. I said, you sign on for Jesus, it won't be dull. I think it was about a year later, he was calling me and telling me he's got to stop this and that and the other thing regarding the service to the Lord. Because there was so much. It's not dull. It's anything but dull. It is, well again, let me quote Lewis, how little people know who think that holiness is done when one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. You see the good in it. Whereas again, it's pictured to us as being for, I don't know, people who don't have a life. That's how we talk. The sign on my door that goes to my library in my office does not say pastor's office. It says pastor's study. So you have people come in and say, what does the pastor really do? <laughs> well, it's not dull. I'm always trying to find things I can get out from underdoing. This is just that full. Because it's God we're talking about. 
So let me just give you quickly a couple of principles, some things to think about. Again, this is not exhaustive, just an example of. And let me talk to you about the principle of diligence. It's in the book here. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 1. My son, if thou be surety, surety means you are co-signing a loan. That would be one example. My son, if thou be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, then he tells you to just get out of it as quick as you can. And it's happened to me on more than one occasion. Try to do the right thing, and you put up some uh, security for somebody, and it's twice it's happened to me, with no small sum of money in one case. And he was a preacher who wasn't paying his debts. Another bank was telling my wife and I, we're going to be taking your money. Well, God was good, and we got out of that one. But that's what this book says. Apply diligence to get out from underneath that thing. Benjamin Franklin said, diligence is the mother of good luck. Well, you're so lucky. It has nothing to do with luck. Luck is a roll of the dice. A friend of mine some years ago, pastor going through a rough time. And in order to encourage him, I was sharing with him some of my rough times. We know each other well. He knew my life. We weren't strangers. And he started off by saying to me, he said, well, you know, things go well for you because things have always come easy. I said, what are you, crazy? Things never have come easy for me. From the first day, they haven't come easy. Yesterday was not easy. Today is not easy because we have this principle of diligence, of being hard at work at whatever we do, whatever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might, with everything that you have. You know, some of you here, you're informed people, you know the difference between old money and new money. Old money is the way many of us have made it. You get up and go to work. What? You get up and go to work. I'm wondering why every place I go, there's three weeks, one month, three months before we can see you. And everywhere I go, there's a sign saying we're hiring. I'm not really sure what's going on. But if you have the concept of old money, that means you work for it and you earn it. And little by little, you put up in savings and all these different things. And you meet a young person. And for those of you who are younger, it doesn't mean that you think this way. But you meet a young person. And then all of a sudden, they think that, Things just came easy your whole life. It just, well, you got all this money. <laughs> I've been working for over 50 years, 53 years. Didn't come because I was lucky. Blessing of God, yeah. But there's still work and diligence. You don't learn the Bible by just flipping through pages and just say, oh, God, speak to the people and just flip the pages. That's what we call Bible roulette. And eventually, it's going to come on the wrong verse on the wrong day. That's not how you learn, it's diligence. To be a true preacher of the word, you must be diligent and committed to this book. And that takes sweat equity, and that's old money. I meet a lot of younger people. Forgive me again, the young people that are here doesn't represent you necessarily. I say, so what are you going to do now, you know, out of high school? I'm called to be an entrepreneur. But they're never making money. Or they've watched or listened to some of these motivational speakers who are billionaires. But what they may not know, maybe what the entrepreneur might not be saying is that they work harder than the average person to make their millions and their billions. They're always working, well, relatively speaking. But the new money is this idea that we're gonna get it quick. And when we turn to the book and we see what it says there, it says that that money's gonna fly away with wings. What am I saying? There's certain ways of doing things that never change because it's a principle. And the principle behind it is you work, let me use the expression again so I communicate, for old money. You go to work every day, you go to work, you come home, and life is sometimes not only difficult, it's not all that exciting. What are you doing tomorrow? Going to work. What are you doing tomorrow? Going to work. But that's how it's done. That's how you learn any skill. It doesn't matter what it is. 
You want to be a pianist? You want to be a classical guitarist? You want to be a singer? It's done by old money. It's done by diligence. But the promise is that it will be lasting. Especially when we apply our hearts diligently to seek the Lord. This is what the book tells us. It's not just going to a service, church service. It's applying our hearts to diligently find and know God. To know the author of the book requires diligence. God requires diligence. And so we come to this principle. But the promise, applying it solely now to God, is eternal. He says, and you will seek for me and find me. That's a promise. When you seek for me with all of your heart. Let me tell you something, my friends. We read Solomon at the end of his life. He was a broken man. And he said, man in his best state is altogether vanity. I'm at the stage of life where reports are coming more and more of who's died. The memorial service today for a good close friend of mine. Just like that. You're gone. Eternity is now there. And when you keep that in mind, you understand that the only thing that's really of value in this life is God himself. To know God. To really know God. And it's something that man cannot give you. But thank God man cannot take it away. For I know whom I have believed, the Apostle Paul said, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I have known him. And he wasn't one, as you know, the original 12. Diligence is one principle that we come upon. Quickly, the principle and promise of health. How many people did Jesus heal? My son, attend to my words. This is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. 21 and 22. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them. These are the words here. And health, listen, to all their flesh. And I'm not going to quote the statistics, but there are statistics out there. People who attend church services on a regular basis actually have healthier lives. Now, some are going to say it's correlation, but not causation. But I'm not going to debate in their world. I'm just going to simply say what God has promised. That these words are health to our flesh. Not just to our minds. Because the brain is fleshly. It's health to every part of us. Jesus healing the sick. I won't even mention that today. But think about this one here. Some of you remember Cardinal Cook. New York City. Well when he had his funeral. The United Press International. Wrote up a piece about him. And this is what it said. I want to read it to you. They sent out a story, it was a second day story, on the funeral of New York's Cardinal Terence J. Cook. This is a true quote. This was the eighth paragraph. As the coffin was lifted and carried to the altar, more than 3,000 mourners sung the hymn, O Lord, our health and age has passed. That went over your heads. Give me a minute, I'm going to strike that from my notes. Oh God, our help in ages past is the hymn. The UPI put it out. Oh God, our age and our health has passed. And it's a good thing I'm a preacher, not a stand-up comedian. Scratch that. Our health has not passed because it's in the hands of God. And when it does pass, Jesus said, if you believe on me, I will raise you up. Now, I'm not advocating a poor diet, typically an American diet. I'm not advocating but one thing. No matter how healthy or unhealthy you are, you're still going to die. The best books I've ever read on nutrition know that much, and they're not 
coming from a Christian point of view. They're also, well, it's not going to make us live forever. But there's one that will. And it's Jesus. I will raise him up on the last day. We have the hope of not only health in this world. And we face sicknesses and diseases. But we can still go to God and say as Jeremiah said. Save me Lord and I shall be saved. Heal me and I shall be healed. For thou art my praise. And with this long train of little things that trouble us and some big things as well, and I mean diseases and sicknesses and problems in our flesh, one day the body will be laid in the grave with the promise that God is going to raise it back up again. With that in mind, where is your wisest investment to be made in this life? I think it's good to have money saved for your so-called retirement, have some money aside for various things. But in the end, what is the best investment, the wisest investment that you can make? It's an investment in Jesus Christ. Making him number one, who has promised to raise us back up again. Quickly, is the principle and promise of peace. That's why I signed on. I didn't know there was a lot more to get besides just peace, but Isaiah 32, 17, and the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. The work of righteousness. His work in us. But like the two legs that Booth talked about, faith and works, they go together. They're connected. Not our works, but what comes out of our faith in Christ by His grace, by His strength. We watch as the professing Christian walks through this life and actions. When da Vinci was asked to paint the Last Supper, which we've all seen it, and he put the disciples in groups around Jesus... He asked a friend of his what he thought of the painting, and this was the remark his friend made about the chalice, the cup. He said, it's marvelous. He says, the cup is so real. It looks so real. You can almost reach out and touch it. To which, as the story goes, Da Vinci immediately took a brush and went right through the chalice. He said, nothing shall detract from Christ. Nothing shall detract from Christ. You've heard me say this, and it's a tongue-in-cheek statement to some degree, but I've given up on Christianity. If you want to know why, I'll have to write a book. But I have never given up on Christ. I've never given up on Jesus. I've never given up on this book. And you shouldn't either. Make that your chief investment in life. And everything else will be added to you. Whatever you need, God will add it to you. Make sure your chief investment is right here. In the Word of God. And so Jesus says in John chapter 3, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You can't get that in the health food store. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There was a preacher by the name of W.B. Hinson. He lived in the early part of the 20th century. A very effective preacher. And apparently he was told by one doctor about a disease that he had which was going to take his life. And he went out where he lived and he looked at the mountains and the splendor that he had seen and all these things that we could see here in upstate New York. But he went on to say that it was not to be compared to the splendor that he was about to see when he met Christ in eternity. 
Another friend of mine just passed away. I routinely sent him emails, letting him know I was praying for him. He developed, I believe it was pancreatic cancer. It's not a good cancer. And I checked my emails just out of curiosity to see the last one that he answered was in December. He said, thanks for praying. Everything's going well. His T-cells were down and so on. And then I sent him another one in May, no response, until I got an email from the school. He was the president of the school where I got one of my degrees that had passed away. When I pray for people to get well, I believe for them to get well. However, I'm well versed enough in the scriptures to say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. God will heal every single disease that you have except the last one. Something's going to take your life. Jack DeLane died at 96. His stomach was still as flat as an ironing board. But something took his life. He didn't make it through pneumonia and he passed away at 96. 96, 98, what, what difference does it make? We all know that we're facing that ultimate verdict. No matter how healthy you are, how strong you are, how wealthy you are, whatever is your claim to fame today, the greatest investment that you can make is in the principles and promises of God. And I'm just speaking for myself. I just want you to hear me state for myself. Once again, as I have reiterated so often, I have never in 46 years regretted one day of accepting Christ as my Savior. Never once did I ever look back and say, it really was better. It wasn't better then. We haven't even really scratched the surface of the principles of God and the promises attached to them. But if you understand gravity, you understand law. Well, God's laws. Step out the window and you say, I'm a Christian. And maybe you got a couple of scriptures in your mouth. But believe me, by the time you hit the ground, they're not going to be in your mouth or in your head. Because the law of gravity works every single time at 32 feet per second, putting pressure on any object that's dropped. Well, putting pressure on the whole globe. But putting pressure on you at 20 feet, 30, 40, 50 feet. So we ordinarily don't do that because it's a principle that has an effect. And the principles of God found throughout the Bible of which we enumerated, I enumerated a few of them for you in Psalm 23 last week. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there are times, and you know it, that it looks like you're going to want, you're going to come up short. You come into the church, and Pastor Ray or some other preacher talks about the offering, and says, I wish I could give this week, but I'm short. Well, you're going to get shorter still. Because there's principles involved in life, or the laws of God. And the one that we want to know beyond every other one, a man becomes what he thinks. Generic, remember. We become what we think. And here he says, think on these things. Think on these things. I just happen to be open to Psalm 37, but let me just give you this quickly. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. It always seems to get away with what we don't get away with. Right? They seem to get away with the most heinous things that we don't get away with. But the book tells us, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. And you can read that psalm. Don't fret. It means to basically boil with anger over evil. And God says, no, don't do that. In time, in due time, I will take care of these things. And that's where the testing comes in. Patience. There are principles in the Bible to which are attached promises. What you do with them is your decision. But I would advise you to be diligent about seeking God. And seek Him in this book. This book has outsold every other book. 
Well, since it's been printed in the 16th century, and it always will, because the author is God himself. This is God speaking. I make decisions for myself. As the pastor, I can make decisions for the church and in corroboration with my wife for the family. But I don't make decisions for you. You make up your own mind and your own decision as to what you're going to do with Jesus. But I pray that you would have the wisdom to seek for him with all of your heart. Father, we just pray today. We thank you and bless you. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. We just ask you today, God, help us to continue to seek you. For you're not a man that you could lie. You're not a man that you can change. You are who you are. It's we that need to change. So we just ask you today, Father God, to help us. Help us, Father, to trust you with all of our heart and not to lean to our own understanding. Once again, God, I just ask you to let your anointing just rain on your people. You did not promise us a stress-free life. You promised us deliverance day by day, that you would lead us to your kingdom. On that is what we count. Father God, in Jesus' name, let your spirit fall today as we have fellowship downstairs. We break bread together and then baptize those who have committed themselves to be baptized according to your word. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Bless what we're about to do. Bless what we're about to eat. Bless what we're about to say. This week, remind us to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of the strength. And likewise, remind us to love one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.